and uh, I am so excited to have my guest today, who is a fellow Olympic athlete, and uh, want to start off and give you an introduction of who she is and some of the accomplishments that she's had, which has been absolutely amazing. So this is Tiffany Cohen Lalonde. She was on the world's biggest stage for sports, winning two gold medals in swimming at the 1984 Olympics. While at the University of Texas, she broke records, won five NCAA titles, was National Collegiate Swimmer of the Year and Conference Athlete of the Year. For Tiffany, the biggest challenge of her life was not in the pool, but in her mind. While trying to be strong and invincible, she really felt vulnerable and reckless inside while battling an eating disorder, alcoholism, and mental health challenges. Let's talk to Tiffany, who is a cancer survivor, who has eight years of long-term sobriety. That's awesome. Uh, she's gonna share her story of strength and hope. And then one last thing about Tiffany, she's also in the International Swimming Hall of Fame, which I'm so absolutely impressed by. So welcome, Tiffany. Amy, I am so happy and, and grateful to be here today and to be your guest. I really appreciate it. You know, I was talking to you earlier and I was thinking about uh, what our conversation was going to be like. And I was thinking of, you know, I remember one of my favorite memories really is walking into Olympic Stadium and what that was like. And people always ask me about that. Uh, but I never had the opportunity to stand on the podium like you did. So can you tell us what that's like to, to be a gold medal Olympic uh, athlete and stand on that podium? Um, sure, going, going back to that time, it was, um, it was just a few years ago. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Actually 1984 in Los Angeles, California, which happened to be my hometown. Um, you know, the whole experience of being in the Olympics was surreal, but even more so, when I stood up on the podium and had a gold medal, or actually two gold medals awarded to me. Um, I had eight years prior, I can remember watching the Olympics in 1976 and watching the women's uh, 400 freestyle relay because they won a gold medal, the only gold medal against the East Germans. And I stood on top of our dining room table and sang the national anthem. So that dream was ingrained in my head for eight years. And when it happened, I just couldn't believe it. And it sent chills down my spine. And the first medal, I was taking it all in. And then the second medal, I was like, this is something I want to remember the rest of my life. So I still get chills. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. I know I got chills listening to the story. So that's really, really incredible. And um, we, we talked about some of the challenges that you face. So certainly be, becoming an Olympic athlete is super challenging, but you have said that some of your challenges out of the pool were actually more difficult. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, navigating all the training and the competition, um, you know, I had trained to be successful in the pool, but when I retired from swimming, I had a hard time navigating through life. Um, I believe that I have a little different brain chemistry. I have some mental health challenges. I suffer from depression, anxiety, but two of my big, biggest challenges, including a life, included a life-threatening eating disorder called bulimia that I struggled for seven years, and also um, 
I'm an alcoholic right now with eight years of long-term sobriety. So those are two real big challenges for me um, in my adult life. Yeah, that is absolutely incredible that you have eight years of sobriety. So congratulations on that. That's so good. Oh, thanks. You know, I, um, when I was young, when I was in my 20s, well, actually, even as a teenager, the first time I ever took a drink was when I was 15 years old. And I did it because I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. I did it because I wanted to fit in. Um, but the problem with my brain chemistry was that um, I blacked out. I just had this allergy to alcohol. But unfortunately, that didn't stop me. Um, as a matter of fact, being an athlete, what I had learned was that any time that I drank, I had to get tougher because I still had to wake up and go to practice the next day. So it's almost like when you learn the lesson when you play, you still have to pay the consequences. Yes. Um, but that was not enough for me um, to stop me because the addiction is progressive and it continued well into my 40s. So you initially started out while even while you were training you were drinking and and were you struggling with an eating disorder at that time too um the eating disorder was actually brewing i say as a senior in high school i was flirting with bulimia which for the audience those of you who aren't familiar with it it's when you binge on huge quantities of food and then you purge and purge it could be growing up, it could be using laxatives, or it could be obsessive exercise. And as a senior in high school, I started that, did all of that, and it became progressive, and eventually ended my swimming career, unfortunately, uh, four and a half years later. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, you know, that's okay. Um, I, I firmly believe things happen for a reason. Um, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about the progression of the eating disorder because I feel that's important. Um, at first, I was not ready to get help. I didn't see the consequences. Um, I had an obsession with food. I was, I was binge drinking. I wanted to be the life of the party. You know, after the Olympics, I had worked so hard at, you know, training 10 miles a day, you know, sometimes 15 miles a day in the pool. And, you know, I got to college and I was like, had some a taste of freedom and didn't learn how to really function, you know, as a um, more to be more successful in the collegiate athlete environment. Um, instead, I quote unquote partied and um, eventually what had happened was the eating disorder took its toll to the point I was binging and purging multiple times daily. That took me away from my studies. It took me away from my training. It took me away from relationships. Um, I pushed people away because I didn't want them to know my secret, yeah. you know? And the more I was doing it, I knew eventually it was taking its toll physically because my performance in the pool declined. Um, I was having a lot of difficulty with stress. Um, I would have these panic attacks. I'd get very depressed to the point where I didn't want to get up out of bed, um, you know, to go to practice. I didn't want to get up out of bed. I couldn't get out of bed many times to go to school. Um, and then when I'd go on my drinking binges, you know, it made it even worse. Um, 
Yeah. And I was drinking in college and trying to train and go to school. Um, at first, it was probably three to four nights a week while doing the uh, binging and purging with the oh. bulimia. So while you're struggling with all this, were the people in your life, were they noticing? Did they reach out to you? Did they ask you if you were okay? Uh, was anybody um, trying to help you? Um, you know, eventually I had confided in my roommates. Um, I was a complete mess one night and felt powerless. Like I was out of control and I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. And I asked her, I go, please, will you help me next time? I want to binge and I would call it pig out. Um, will you help me not to do it? No one could help me because I wasn't being honest with myself. I would still hide the problem. I hadn't hit rock bottom yet. Um, and then also, I can remember at University of Texas, um, there was a sports physiologist who had grown concerned about me, who I developed a connection with. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, what had happened was I had to start losing things in my life. I missed so many practices in swimming that my coach, my junior year, kept me home from the national championships. Yeah, I missed the practices. It's my eating disorder and my drinking. Mm -hmm. um, amazingly, I passed all classes but one class in college, but I was having a very difficult time just making it out of bed to, to go to the class, let alone deal with the side effects of the eating disorder, drinking, and then the, my mental health condition of dealing with depression and anxiety. So there's a, an element and a phrase that people often use is that a lot of times people who ha are struggling with mental health challenges, um, including eating disorders, that, that we self-medicate with either alcohol or drugs. Is that what was happening, do you think, looking back in your life, you feel like you were self-medicating? Yes, I think so. I think that when the first time that I took that drink when I was 15 years old, I was... Um, anesthetizing myself you know was numbing myself my feelings um i didn't know how to deal with my feelings because um you know swimming was was a great coping skill because when i was angry when i was sad i could dive into the pool and get into a workout and forget about my feelings i could channel them into my performance you know i see you shaking your head you can relate Amy. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it was it, great. And, and sometimes when you're swimming, just the, the sound of the water was like meditation. Um, so, yeah, I was definitely numbing myself and self-medicating because, you know, who knows what came first, the addiction, the um, mental health condition. But my brain chemistry is just different. You know, I tell my kids, I said, you know what, you have the disease of alcoholism running through your veins. So for me, as a sober woman, what I do now is I have coping skills and I have a program. I practice, you know, prayer, meditation. I read literature about recovery. My obsession for drinking, fortunately, has been lifted. Do I still have that brain chemistry? Yeah, I do. I still have it. So I still have to practice a good program of recovery and deal with life on life's terms. Yeah, that's amazing that you were able to find the pathway to recovery and that you've able, been able to, to seek out other healthy coping strategies uh, because those are, those are big challenges. And I, and I just want to go back to um, ask you the question about eating disorders. Uh, particularly, there seems to be a higher prevalence in athletes 
Um, have you uh, sought out information about that or um, does that have to do with our drive of and the image that we have to uphold and the pressures that we're under? Um, what are some things that contribute to that? Well, I think some of the things that contribute to that in society, let alone, we're constantly bombarded by that ideal image of thinness. And then in, in sports, in general, there's also that additional emphasis on, at least in swimming, I felt like I had to be the right weight. I had to be, have this goal weight. And um, in some sports, you're also appearing on deck you know, in a certain uniform, for example, you know, for swimming, it was a swimsuit. Mm -hmm. And statistically, the odds of someone developing an eating disorder is much higher in sports than it is in the general public. Mm -hmm. uh, and back when I was struggling, I want to say I was almost a pioneer because four and a half years into my seven year battle of eating disorder, that's when I admitted I had a problem and told the athletic director. And that's when they started to put programs in place where coaches weren't allowed to weigh their athletes anymore. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was huge. I'm like, what do you mean? You guys don't have to step on a scale anymore? That's right. awesome. Right. <laughs> that's something separate it, and it should be. Yeah, I could certainly relate to that because when I was at the University of Tennessee playing basketball, we weighed in three times a week. And then when I left uh, NCAA sports and went to train for the Olympics for those three years, when I went back and played basketball at the University of Arizona, the NCAA had made that rule. So we weren't getting on the scale. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, um, I would have probably developed bulimia if I hadn't seen a pamphlet and recognized that what I was doing um, binging and purging or using laxatives and things like that to make my ideal weight, uh -huh. I probably would have ended up with that condition as well. So I can certainly appreciate that and understand where you come yes. from. Yeah. And the body, yeah, it's the body has a set point. So everyone's different shape and sizes. You know, we don't all have the same size shoe. So why would we be weighing the same? And it's different for everyone. So I'm glad that those pamphlets were able to help. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, uh, I was lucky. And it's like what you said, there's, there's really no accidents or coincidence. We're so, sort of on this journey of life and things that happen to us, you know, um, probably because I had so many other challenges <laughs> that uh, that, was my, that was my one break on that. Um, so when you, when you realize that you need help, uh, were the resources there uh, for you uh, to get the help that you needed? Oh, and my eating disorder, definitely. They, yeah. were, they were there. Um, I was ready to start being on the road of recovery. It took a very long time, though. It took a lot of outpatient counseling, support network, a 10-week hospital stay. Wow. Um, Unfortunately for me, and also I did speaking for about seven years about my recovery from bulimia. Unfortunately for me, I wasn't ready yet to admit I was an alcoholic. Um, the disease of alcoholism was still brewing, even though a nurse had told me while I was in the hospital for my eating disorder that I was an alcoholic because I was binge drinking. Mm -hmm. So it was about 20 years later, which I would say 12 years ago from now, was when I hit my bottom with um, alcoholism when I cried out for help and knew that 
I could not continue on like I was because it was affecting my relationship, my, my job. I, again, I was barely making it out of bed to, to function as a mother, you know, a single parent and, um, you know, balance that with my job. I was no longer the life of the party. I was still blacking out and who knows what was going on during those blackouts. Did you find that having been an Olympian and having all the success that you had, did that help you or hurt you in your journey to recovery? Um, to be perfectly honest with me, um, it was probably more of the latter. It's at first, it probably hurt me because I felt like a failure. Yeah. Um, I felt as though, you know, God, I stood on the podium, I won two gold medals, but yet I can't beat this disease. People would tell me, you're a winner, you can beat this, you can do anything you set your mind to. But that, unfortunately, even in, in relapse, because relapse is a part of recovery, hearing things like that, to me, fueled my shame and guilt. Yeah. So um, that was um, one of the biggest challenges. And thanks for asking that question. That's a, a really good question because um, I think a lot of people do struggle with the shame and guilt and not understanding that, well, to get better, you really have to hit rock bottom and admit complete powerlessness um, over your disease. I think, I think sometimes that when people see um, those who have accomplished a lot, they are sort of shocked that we would struggle so much with mental health conditions or addiction or anything like that. And that's why <laughs> I felt like it was so important to hear your story today and have you share uh, because there are right now, as we're talking, there are Olympic athletes, there are college athletes out there who are struggling with very similar issues and concerns. And they're probably feeling very much alone in that struggle. Yeah, it's, you do feel very alone. I felt so alone in, in my struggles and I pushed people away. I didn't want people to know my secret, what, what was going on and, and didn't understand until I started going to get help that it wasn't until I could admit complete defeat and get on my hands and knees and beg for help. You know, that just was not in the athlete's handbook to admit complete defeat. Right. <laughs> so, That's right. That's right. That was a different journey for me. Yeah. And, um, but the beautiful part of it was it was humbling. Um, I started to feel better. I started on the road of recovery. I met people that were like me. Um, you know, my eating disorder was 20 years later. And while it ended my swimming career, if I didn't get help when I did, who knows if I would have been ever, ever able to have kids. I was able to have two beautiful children. I was able to, um, I was never able to go back to swimming. That was too much for me. But um, I participated in the sport of triathlon, which was like a comeback for me. Yeah. And, you know, so beautiful things do happen in your recovery. Life, life happens. Yes, it does. And it doesn't stop, even though we're struggling. Um, oh, no, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. As you know, I mean, we've talked about our mental health challenges, you know, and 
as in, it was four and a half years ago that I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that was incredibly hard. But fortunately, as far as drinking, for me, the obsession was lifted. I had a good program of recovery. I wasn't going to go back. You know, there was times when I felt sorry for myself, which unfortunately fueled my depression. You know, I was very depressed. Why me? You know, I was very anxious. And then life still happened. I had a family member that started struggling with addiction. My mom started to um, develop signs of dementia. So I had to help her and sell her, get her set in her house. And um, I just kept going and going. And I was selling, you know, our house. And I can remember people saying, you know, everybody reaches a breaking point. And I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And one day I just, I just had a complete breakdown. I couldn't handle it anymore. So here I was, um, four years sober, 20 years in abstinence from my eating disorder, I had a complete breakdown and was hospitalized for five days. Well, yeah. I think that's an important point that all of us have a, a breaking point and that there, there comes a time where we, we might have overcome so much and we might have accomplished so, so many things, but there is a point where it's, it's almost like a white flag of like, okay, I need a break. I need, I need some help here. Yeah, it's like waving the, I waved the white flag because I had no other choice. I was on autopilot and um, it took me a little while to realize that stress really is one of my triggers for mental health challenges, you know, for fortunately the obsession from drinking is, is lifted, you know, as long as I practice a good recovery program. Yeah. But um, yeah, for a lot of people, I think hopefully they can relate to that, um, that self-care is very important. So that's, that's something that we all need to learn to practice. Yeah, for me, it was a bit of an unraveling of all the things that I'd been taught as an athlete. We're supposed to be mentally tough. We're supposed to never give in. We're supposed to uh, play through pain or swim through pain or do you know, whatever we had to do to win. So there was a part of that that helped my drive, but then there was a part of that was defeating because when you ask for help, you have to give in and be vulnerable. Yes. Did you find the similar thing? Oh yeah, you, I had to give in and be vulnerable. That was, I guess that's the beauty of recovery is, is knowing that other side of yourself and that, hey, it's okay to not be okay. It's, it's okay to, to ask for help. It's, you know, it, it's so important. And then when you do ask for help, you make for connections with people who really have been there before and have been through it and, and are there to help you through it because it's one of the ways I got better is being vulnerable and um, listening to other people's experience, strength and hope like I'm sharing right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think what happens when you share is that you create a safe space for other people to come into your life and to share with you. And that creates connection so that they're, they're not feeling alone. Now they can see that you, not only have you been through a lot of things, accomplished a lot of things, but then you were able to get on the other side of those challenges. And now you're in the position to be able to help others. Yes, and, and that's what it's all about for me. 
you know, I enjoy talking about the Olympics, you know, it was a huge part of my life and winning, but an even huger part of my life is that I am vulnerable. I, I am human. I have some of the same challenges mm-hmm. as, as other people, you know, maybe even, even more challenges, but I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change anything, um, for the world because, um, this is where it's brought me right now. That's awesome. And I'm so glad that our paths have crossed and, and we've been able to have this conversation today. Um, I know that your, your words and your uh, encouragement to someone who's out there listening right now who it might be struggling, uh, what would you say to those folks who might be um, struggling? I would say reach out, reach out for help, you know, let yourself be vulnerable. It's beautiful because you're going to feel a lot better if you are, you know, reach out to me. You know, I'm there. I've been there before. I know what it's like, Um, you know, listen to my story and know that um, I believe in the promises. I believe that, um, if you practice a good program of recovery, you're going to have a beautiful life. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's so, so good. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, sharing your, your story today. And uh, I am in, amazed at uh, your journey. And, you know, I just think, just thinking of, of being a breast cancer survivor alone um, let alone all the other things that you were navigating. So you really did navigate those rough water, waters. Um, um, yeah, I've had, I've had my share of navigating those rough waters. It wasn't as smooth as it was, you know, when I was training and swimming, you know, but, but, but that's life. And it just you know, it makes me a stronger, more human person. Yes. And um, able to share with others what I've been through and that there's another side, you know? Yes. I love that, that there is another side. And that's the hope that we want to give people. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this, speak up for mental health and do these interviews is because I wanted other people to see that there is another side, um, that there is the side of recovery and that uh, it doesn't matter who you are in our society or what socioeconomic class you are or anything like that. Um, All of us are human. And all of us will have our unique challenges and struggles along the pathway in life. That's for sure. So well said, Amy. We, we all do. Um, everybody has a different journey and a different path that they have. And um, we all just have to make the best of it and, you know, learn. And I wake up every day and um, I still pray and ask, ask God for help, you know, Faith is very important to me, and um, I'm grateful just to be alive and to be able to be here today and to share my story with others. So if there's anybody else out there who, are, who is struggling, no, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to ask for help. Please do so, because there is a much better side. I love that. You have a, a few folks on Facebook Live who are shouting out to you. Um, Kathleen, uh, who's from West Liberty University, she says, it's so great to hear from somebody that I looked up to when I was a young swimmer. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Kathleen. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And your cousin was also on here saying that uh, um, they love you. So uh, to give you that, 
that shout out to them. Carol. So uh, thank you so much again for sharing. I know that there are people out there who are gonna benefit from your willingness to do that. And I wanna say to everyone who's tuned in or watching on replay, um, thank you for uh, being a part of Speak Up for Mental Health, the community, and uh, keep liking, sharing, commenting, and invite your friends to join so that we can keep yeah. the conversation going. Um, thanks, so much. thanks so much, Tiffany. You're welcome. All right, take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.